Mac Power Users, episode 233, Family Tech Support. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie Floyd? I'm great. Happy New Year, David. Well, thanks. Thanks. I'm, uh, I, you know, this holiday season was rough for me because I have a big case I'm in the middle of and I feel like I got ripped off a little bit because I, I work so hard. But, you know, uh, finishing the fall, the holidays, fall days, holidays, something <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, we found uh, both Katie and I were talking about how over the holidays we spent a lot of time doing family tech support with our relatives and maybe we should have done the show a month ago, but, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, my, the idea is fresh in our minds. So we thought it would be fun to talk about, um, what are the best tools and workflows? If you're going to be going, being the family nerd, you're going to go and help somebody set up a new computer or just the general family tech support things you need to be doing. And we said, Hey, you know what? I think that's a show. Yeah, I think it, I think it is a show because I, like you spent a lot of my time over this holiday, uh, doing a lot of tech support, whether it was installing hard drives, installing various gifts for people, um, helping my nephew with his GoPro, helping, um, you know, my parents install their Nest thermostat and install all their little toys. It's, it's been a busy holiday for me. I've no rest for the weary sometimes. Hey, you know, it's funny. You, you mentioned re- replacing hard drives. That's like my job at my my family, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, it seems like every holiday, I, one of my gifts to somebody is somebody who has an aging Mac and they've maxed out the drive space, but otherwise the Mac is in decent shape and for what they're using it for, there's no need for them to go buy a new one. So almost every holiday I buy a new hard drive for somebody and then I bring my screwdrivers along and on Christmas or new year's or somewhere I'm, I've got the, the Mac opened up and I'm doing surgery. Yeah. You always want to check out what kind of Mac they have before you commit to doing that. Yeah. Oh, there are some. Actually, that's not so true anymore. Most of the ones in active circulation now I can replace. But, you know, five or six years ago, those old MacBook Pros. Yeah, that's what I did this weekend. Oh, you did one of those? 27 screws. Wow. Katie and, Floyd, you're, and, I'm proud of you. And the, uh, well, uh, th- there's a story that I'll get to a little bit later in the show as to, I wasn't necessarily intending to, but it ended up happening on Christmas Day. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even do that. I would say sorry. Yeah, but, <laughs> and and like the, the ribbon cable is glued to the top of the hard drive. So it requires like prying off, but without ripping it. Oh, oh my goodness. I can't believe you did that. Okay, well, uh, let's get to that in the, the outline later, but let, let's get started with the basics. So uh, you arrive on Christmas Day or Boxing Day. Isn't bo- the idea of Boxing Day cool? I love that idea. Yeah. I wish we we adopted it more thoroughly in America. Do, do, I have no idea what it is. Do you sit around and watch boxing? I I think they punch each other. Oh, I think because okay. Canadians are so friendly to each other. All the oh, time. we do that's that in the, my family anyway. So perfect. that's the one yes. day a year they're allowed to punch each other. As, after Christmas, we're done with each other. <laughs> no. Yeah, I spent Boxing Day this year in court, and I felt like I was in a boxing match. So I guess I sort of celebrated it. Anyway, um, the uh, so so uh, so either way, you're sitting around and, and a family member has a new Mac. So, and they look at you and they say, okay, Mr. Family Mac nerd, what do I do? Well, I I think you need to put some thought into setting up a Mac for a family member. Um, And and you've got to think about how they're going to use it. Uh, I think the first thing you need to think about is who is going to use this Mac? Uh, how many people are going to use it in a family? Um, what what type of users are these? Are these adults? Are they children? Um, are they sophisticated users? Are they novice users? Um, 
And you need to think of the number and the type of users that you've got, their level of sophistication. And, and I think you need to give some some real thought to how do I balance setting up this computer for them to give them their independence, um, to lock it down where it needs to be locked down, but also balancing their security and their independence. Because yes, you're you're setting it up. You're probably setting it up in such a way that you're going to be providing some ongoing tech support for it. So you want to keep that in mind. But you also need to be mindful that this is not your computer. Yeah, and I, I thought you made a couple of points there that are worth uh, focusing on. The first is the number of users. You can be setting up a computer for an entire family or a single person, and I think that's a real fundamental question you need to answer before you start start going at it. Because you know the types of applications you install, even just the individual user accounts, are something that you can do at the beginning and make it a lot easier for yourself and that whole family if you do it correctly. For instance, like setting up an admin account. If you're going to have multiple users, uh, why don't you set up an admin account just like for yourself? And I, well, I guess what am I am I jumping ahead too? No, much? in fact, that's that's what I do. I I set up an admin account. I, I typically call it admin, and and then I set up accounts for every person who's going to use that computer. And I don't make them admin level accounts. You know, so I set up an account for mom and dad and Sally and Billy and you know whoever they they happen to be. And I try to emphasize that right off the bat. Okay, even though this is going to be a family computer. Not everybody's going to use the same logon. Mom's going to have her logon. Dad's going to have his logon. Sally's going to have her logon. Billy's going to have his logon. Uh, and and let's let's start from the beginning. That although yes, this is the family computer, let's let's not mix and mingle all of our stuff. I had a goldfish once named Sally. She Ooh. didn't get to use the computer though. Well, maybe so, maybe you could have made her an aquarium out of a computer. So now, do you generally just make the admin account the only admin, and the rest of them user accounts? I think the answer to that is depend. It depends. It, generally, uh, that would be my recommendation. But I think it depends again on the level of sophistication of the users. If you've got a pretty sophisticated adult user in the household, then maybe they do need to be an admin. If if you've got someone uh, a, a household full of novices, then maybe not only do they not need to be the admin, maybe they don't need to know the admin password, or maybe they need to call you before before they start typing it into things. Yeah, it it really is a it really requires just kind of a, a review of who's going to be using it and their level of sophistication. Right. I, I do think, however, um, educating them and getting them working on it is important. You don't want to become their, you know, the only person they can rely on to use a computer. You want to kind of enable them a little bit to, to do this on their own. And frankly, uh, and I guess another another variable in there is whether they've ever used a Mac before. If you know, it's going to be a little harder for someone who's never used a Mac before. But we've got some recommendations for some third party resources they could go to later to to kind of help them, you know, bone up on it all. But right. I, I do I do think getting them, you know, don't be just a tech guy who is or tech lady who is who's setting it up. Make sure they're sitting next to you as you do it. So they can start learning a little bit about it and hopefully not need to call you every other day. Right. Because uh, at the end of the day, your your goal here is typically to, to foster independence. You you don't want them calling you and, and they're going to be relying on you. And it really can be a tough balancing act because you're going to be tempted to want to set it up the way that you want it set up. And you're going to be tempted to want to lock it down so that they can't do anything. But again, 
this is not your computer. This is this is their computer, and you you need to try very hard to to walk through those and and balance you know security, uh, balance convenience, but also balance usability and balance you know weaning them off of needing you for tech support. Yeah, another another point of that is you know you don't want to customize it too much because uh, people who are I guess I would say non geeks are much less likely to buy fancy pants utility software they're going to be using spotlight you can't go and like do the brett terpstra keyboard remap you know you you just you've got to kind of keep things pretty vanilla to kind of get them rolling and and hopefully avoid any barriers that are going to require you to spend hours either at their house or you know tunneling in to try and help them figure something out in a few months that's true, uh, but I would encourage you to customize the look and feel for each user so that it is very clear where they are and which user account they're in. Yeah. You know, customize things that are designed to be customized. Customize their screen savers, customize their desktop, uh, customize depending on the user, maybe their font and their font size. You know, do you need to bump up the font size for certain users? Do you need to customize certain settings? Customize the look and feel of the accounts for each person, but don't go crazy. Keep keep it simple and, and try to keep things as, as default as possible. And better yet, when you're doing things like customizing the desktop, you have that person sit next to you and you let them drive the computer and you tell them, show them where to click and let them go through the act of doing it. And then they'll feel a little bit of empowered. Maybe they'll go and switch it to something else later and, you know, start to kind of take ownership of this. Um, so talking about users and groups, let's just talk about some of the concerns that you have or the the steps that you would take when you're setting up a computer from multiple users? Well, I would set up for multiple users and then I would go into each of those individual users and I would start tweaking the accounts. You know, for each individual user, Apple has made it pretty easy now. If you go into system preferences, there's an internet account settings uh, and you can configure things like various email accounts, their Twitter accounts, their Facebook accounts, LinkedIn accounts, all of those various social media accounts. Those can be configured on a user by user basis. And then once you plug in all of that information, particularly if they're an iCloud user, it becomes very easy. You can plug all that information into their iCloud system preference. That's going to start setting up all of their information to sync. And obviously, if they have iOS devices, you want to you know, set up that information so it's going to match their iOS devices and, and they don't end up with sync conflicts. So as you're customizing the individual user accounts for each person, I would go in and also set up things like their email, their contacts, their calendars, their their social networks, and all of those so that all those services built into the operating system are also going to start working. It's, you know, just looking back, this has got so much easier than it used to be. Right. Um, but important things like do set up their email service. Don't don't make them rely on on webmail. I mean, unless that's something that they specifically want to do, and then go ahead and do things like you know set up their favorites. But you know, setting up the the mail app so that all they have to do is click on the icon on the dock, and and there's all of their email. That's great, and that's something that will encourage them to to start using all of their separate user accounts. You know, configure it so that the user account switcher you know is maybe in the menu bar. So if somebody forgets to log off. Uh, they can they can know how to log off and, and sign into a user account, you know, set up the, the account so that automatic login is disabled so that when the computer restarts or when they turn it on first thing that they're presented with a list of accounts that will reinforce. Oh, yeah, I've, I've got to log into to my specific account. Yeah. And that that one right there I want to, to call out because I think if you're setting up a multi user computer, that's probably the most important first step is make sure that it does not automatically log in because the users are going to use whatever account 
activates when they turn the computer on. And if that means everybody suddenly starts using dad's user account or mom's user account instead of their own, so be it. And and it becomes even more complicated because once you make this choice that you're going to have multiple user accounts, um, there are going to be, for instance, pages documents in each user account. So if the the student writes a paper in the student's user account, but the next time the student turns a computer on, it logs into dad's account, the paper is not going to be in dad's account. It's going to be in their account and they are going to freak out because they are not going to know what happened to their paper. And the, most likely they'll just end up starting over again. And then they'll go back next time into their own account and find that it's only half done and they don't understand why. <laughs> I mean, it, all these things really happen to people. So uh, having the ability to make sure that every time you turn that computer on, you have to make the choice. You have to click the icon and go into the specific user account. Because we used a family iMac for years in our house. And um, that was probably the biggest hangup is a lot of times the kids just, for one reason or another, ended up in the wrong account. And it caused all sorts of mayhem. And then I would stress that. I mean, again, that's an educational point of, yes, this is one computer. And yes, you are four different people, but this is, you know, you are, you all going to have your, your separate rooms or your separate sections on this computer. And that's where all of your stuff is going to be kept. Yep. Um, so other configuration things that you can do, you know, after you've split them up in, in separate accounts, you know, there, there are a couple of settings that, that you can configure, and some of these are going to multiply across various accounts, but you, you need to set up settings for various um, various accounts. You know, if you're working with children or if you're working with various, um, for with novice users, uh, take a look at some of the parental control settings in those accounts. Um, Apple has gotten better, although still, in my opinion, not great about parental controls over the years. Um, but there's some settings that you may want to look at and you may want to customize on an account by account basis. Yeah. Um, yes, agreed. Uh, I've not used those very much. I know they get better with every new version, but I just never really felt it was that necessary. Uh, we we do run open DNS in our house, so we don't bump into weird things on the internet, more or less. But the um, but you know, I just never really felt that much of a need when when we had a family iMac. My when my kids were younger, we had a family iMac, and we kept it in a central location in the house. So I guess the parental controls were us walking around, watching what they were doing. Um, but. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't consider using them now. And I want to wind back just a little bit when Katie was talking about setting up an email account for users. If you're setting up a new Mac for people, it may be their first iCloud account, you know, and they're getting an iCloud email. Um, and I think that that's a whole conversation you have to have with somebody when you're setting them up, if they want to use the iCloud email or if they've got something else. Now, um, and we've done these shows on email, so I'm not going to go at this at length. But if, if they're using a a email provided by their internet service provider, you know, like um, Cox or whoever your internet service provider is, I would strongly recommend at that point that they kind of, you know, burn the ships at the shore and, and go over to iCloud or Gmail. And, and just that, I think that's a good opportunity to do that for them. And if you're going to do that, go in and log in with them and help set up the auto forward. So their, their old email comes to the new one. But uh, for many members of my family over the years that have got new Macs and I've gone through this exercise with them um, quite often, that's exactly what happens is they've, they've got an ISP email. And I, I look at that as the perfect opportunity to get them onto an iCloud account or dot Mac or whatever it is at the time, according to Apple. And now all my family is using those those accounts. And and it's always felt pretty seamless with me there 
to make it happen. But if you're not there, they are never going to get that email switched over because getting the forward set up and even just getting the account details in with something as simple as iCloud isn't necessarily something a novice user can do. Right. And it just sets them up to be in a much better place in the future. And it's an easy break point because they can tell all their friends, oh, I got a new computer and my grandkid or my son came over and set it up for me and I got a new email address. Here's my new email address. Yeah, it just right. works right. great in. And having everybody in iCloud, the, the, you know, the side benefit, because you're a family geek, you spend all your time helping these people do it. But the side benefit is these people will figure it out pretty quickly. And just like now, I was just looking um, the the New Year's and Christmas photo albums. We have a shared photo album for my family, my extended family. And all these great pictures are coming because we're all kind of in the Apple um, you know, environment now. Yeah. And and it's great. And everybody's figured this stuff out. I, I don't spend that much time helping them on the holidays anymore because everybody's kind of got it figured out. Yeah. While we're kind of working in system preferences and settings, there are a couple of things, and, and we'll talk specifically about security a little bit later, but yeah, a couple of things you, you may want to look at turning on and configuring while you're still in the configuration phase of the new computer. Um, first off, especially if you're on a newer version of the operating system, which you might as well be if you're going to be on a new computer, but go ahead and, and look in the app store setting. And I would probably on a computer that uh, you're going to be providing tech support for or administering, go ahead and make your life a little bit easier and turn on those automatic updates. I, I know that occasionally there have been automatic updates that have caused havoc, but I think those are few and far between. And generally, you're going to find that it's going to be easier to go ahead and have the app store automatically check for updates, automatically download uh, newly available updates in the background, maybe automatically install app updates, and certainly install system data files and security updates with the one that you maybe want to leave unchecked. Uh, is the one to automatically install OSX updates, but I, I think our OS 10 updates. Ooh. Um, but other, other than well, that, you're, you're going to get email for that. I am going to get email. I, I may actually have that edited out. Um, but I would go ahead and I would turn all of those on. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I do know, like Katie said, occasionally an app will cause havoc because something went wrong and you, and it did the update. But the fact is, the apps that people on the, these types of people that you're setting up computers for, they aren't going to have those edgy apps anyway. And I, I just think it makes so much more sense. Uh, and I think it's much better than going over to their house next Christmas or 4th of July and finding that literally every app on their computer has two or three updates that they haven't done. Well, and you're much more likely to have a problem corrected by an update, I think, than a problem caused by an update. Did you see just a week or two ago, Apple did the first auto update for security across the platform. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Apple's, you know, I, I, I just didn't think we'd ever get there, but I guess in this new world we live in, sometimes that's necessary. Yeah. I, I like controlling what I'll, goes on and what doesn't go on my computer. Although I'll tell you, it did not auto install on any of my machines. Oh, probably, probably because I'd already gotten to it fast enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so set up the app store and, and frankly, when you're setting up the app store for a new user, that is another education moment. You sit, have them sit down next to you and say, look, this is the place to go buy apps. The stuff in here is safe. You know, you, uh, it's very easy. You know, you, you don't have to give your credit card to somebody else. It's on your iTunes account. And, you know, that's for, for a novice user, I'm very comfortable telling them just buy the stuff in here. Yeah, the problem is, is not quite everything, or not certainly not everything is available in the App Store yet. They can get a lot. Um, they can't get everything they need in the App Store. 
Yeah. And, and we can talk about that when we talk about kind of recommended initial apps and later in the outline. But boy, I do think having people understand that if you click on that app store, you can get apps just like you do on your phone. That was a, a real smart move by Apple to make that happen. Uh, what about peripherals? Um, I think you definitely want to set up their printer for them and probably go ahead and set up printer sharing so that uh, if they've got multiple Macs or if they've got iOS devices in the house that they can make sure that they can print uh, to those. I really like, especially if you're buying them a Mac or buying them an accessory for someone who's got a new Mac, I think now is a good time if they even need a printer in the house, although I know a lot of folks like having at least one printer in the house. Now's a great time to go ahead and buy somebody an AirPrint printer. They're pretty inexpensive. I think I bought a, a couple as gifts for people in the last couple of years for, you know, $49, $59, $69. And, and they're reasonable printers. And it just makes it so easy to connect your iOS devices and configure them uh, and to share and print to them. And, and just it's so easy to set up. And I you can read, stick them in a closet. I think I read that inkjet uh, ink is more expensive than human blood by the ounce. I'm sure it is. And it's certainly more expensive than the printer's. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the the other thing the peripherals don't forget about uh, besides printers and scanners or whatever, but don't don't forget about their iOS devices. You want to make sure you connect and configure um, iOS devices to these new computers so that they can sync and do backups and and I would even go ahead and configure them for Wi-Fi sync because so few people actually sync. Uh, iOS devices to their computer now that if they ever run into a situation where they need to, um, you know, they're on the phone with Apple and they say, okay, we'll plug your phone into iTunes. That phone may or may not have ever been associated with their iTunes account or that computer before. So maybe go ahead and yeah. set it up when you're there. Well, that could be almost a whole nother show talking about getting the initial setup on the iOS device. But I think another one to do there would be to teach them how to do a wired backup to the system. Uh, because, you know, on iOS, you do get the free uh, iCloud storage to do the backup, and I recommend everybody have that turned on. But uh, forcing a backup onto your Mac once in a while isn't a bad idea either, and, and kind of enabling that new user to do that uh, will will serve them well. In fact, I'd go ahead and run that first backup for them. Yeah. So, so you mean, know, from, from that point, you've at least got one. Yeah, but, you know, have them do it with you sitting next to them. I, I, so much of this, I, I think, is important to let them get their hands on the keyboard and start, you know, it's their computer. Let them start doing the things. You're much better off sitting there and pointing at the screen and saying, then you would click this and this. And maybe they'll forget it all. But the fact that they did it themselves lets them know that they could probably do it again with a little work. Right. Um, the uh, We're going to talk later about the recommended apps, but I think at the initial setup, there's a couple kind of plugins and things that kind of go beyond initial app recommendations. Uh, and that includes the browser. Um, uh, you've got Safari built in. It's not a bad idea to have a second browser. Yeah, I personally like Chrome. Some people like Firefox. I would go ahead and install a second browser. Um, and I would also go ahead and if you can find a way to import or sync their bookmarks, that would be a great thing to do. Or just kind of sit down with them and create a few main bookmarks for them. All right, well, where do you go? Where do you, where do you, you know, do you go to your bank? Do you go to the library? Do you go, you know, create a couple of initial bookmarks and show them how to create bookmarks. Um, although I don't particularly care for it, you know, especially if they're going to use uh, something other than Chrome as their main browser, you may want to consider installing Flash. And configuring it's, it's it to auto-update. I, I kind of take a different approach to that because I, I'm just not a fan of Flash. And like on laptops, Flash will kill the battery. And there's just so many issues. 
Um, so I, I tell people that you don't have Flash installed on this computer, and I, especially if it's a laptop, and I explain why. But I also tell them that if you open Chrome, it, any Flash website will load in Chrome. The other thing I do is I always make a point of explaining the iOS, I'm sorry, the OS X sharing button. You know, it shows up in Safari and some other locations in the operating system. And, you know, it's the little rectangle with the arrow pointed out of it. Same thing that you see on iOS. But for uh, people who are novice users, getting them to share a web page or, you know, just all the things you can do with that sharing button um, it's very empowering for them and it requires them to use Safari, but I I'm okay with that. I use Safari as my primary browser. So, so you, you know, make a point of teaching them about that little button. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about security and setting up a system for security, but first I want to talk about our first sponsor, our exclusive sponsor for this episode, uh, back for us for another year. And we are thrilled to have them. And that is our good friends over at smile. And they want us to talk about PDF Pen 2 for iOS this episode. And I have been using PDF Pen 2 quite a bit on my iPad. I use it on my iPhone as well. And I, it's been a great update. So some of the new features include uh, it's got a redesigned interface that includes this new editing bar. And what's great about the editing bar is it gives you very, very easy access to all of the popular tools that you want to use, which means you don't have to go dig around in menus or click back and forth to switch between the highlighter or to switch between your annotation tools. They're all going to be available right on top of the editing bar for you. Also with PDF Pen 2 for iOS, they've added uh, additional features for people who like to use styluses. So if you've got one of those fancy, uh, you know, jot scripts or jot touch styluses and you want to take advantage of it uh, to do annotations or to do highlighting, PDF Pen 2 for iOS also takes advantage of palm and wrist protection. So you can turn that on and uh, it's going to ignore any of those accidental inputs that you may use when you slide your palm across the, the iPad or if you accidentally bump your wrist while you're writing or highlighting. Uh, we talked about PDFs and PDFs security in a recent episode. Uh, we, we had a lot of great feedback about that episode. Uh, with PDF Pen t- for Mac, you've always been able to encrypt your PDFs. Uh, you can now do that directly with PDF Pen 2 on iOS. So not only can you encrypt your PDF documents, but gr- great for us lawyers, you can also number your pages automatically, including the Bates numbering system. Uh, so those are two welcome improvements to PDF Pen 2 for iOS. Uh, they've got even better support now for iCloud Drive and AirDrop. Uh, you can view and navigate your annotations in the sidebar. And of course, uh, they've improved some of your old favorites, like the ability to add text and images to PDFs, uh, all of your uh, signatures that you've saved and all of your uh, custom images that you've saved are going to sync across all of your devices. So if you've added a signature or image or a sticker or a special something into PDF pen for iPhone or PDF pen for Mac, it's going to sync across across all of your devices. So you can use it on the Mac or on the iPad or on the iPhone. You can correct text uh, in PDFs and create editable text boxes. You can fill PDF forms, and you can even uh, fill specialized signature blocks. Uh, And you can do all of this and more with PDF Pen 2 uh, on the App Store. They've done something special for PDF Pen 2. Uh, and that is they've created a bundle so that if you're an existing user of PDF Pen, either for the Mac or the iPad, you can get special discounted pricing through a Complete My Bundle. So the way that this works is Smile has created a bundle with PDF Pen 2 and PDF Pen for iPad. Uh, and so if you go on your iPhone or on your iPad, just search for PDF Pen and you'll see the bundle pack. You'll see that you can complete your bundle for discounted purchases. So the way that this is, works is if, let's say, you 
you have the uh, PDF pen for iPad, you'll be able to upgrade for as little as $7, assuming you paid the full price of $14.99 for PDF pen for iPad. Uh, if you got it at a discount, then the Complete My Bundle pricing will be a little bit more because the Complete My Bundle price is total of $21.99 minus whatever you paid for it. So it's a really neat, innovative way for the folks at Smile to say, hey, we recognize that you've bought our previous version of our app and we want to try to help you out with with a little bit of a discount on the future version. So uh, I'm thrilled that they're looking at to fund stuff like this and, and trying to help their customers out. So you can find more information on their website at smilesoftware.com. Uh, and thanks again to the folks at Smile for their long-term support of Mac Power users. So let's talk about security uh, when you're setting up a, a new Mac for somebody. Uh, and I think that really starts with FileVault. We, we've talked about FileVault on the show for a while now. I, I guess I should call it FileVault 2 every time I mention it because it's so different than the first iteration of the product. But I, I just have never had any problems with FileVault. I've been recommending people use it on the show. I don't think this is one of those rare instances where I don't think I've ever had a listener write in and give me a reason why I shouldn't use it. Have you? I, I mean, with all the email we've received, I, I don't think we've ever received anybody complaining about using FileVault. No, I don't think so. And and so Apple really did a good job with this. When they when it first came out, it was kind of clunky, and it did slow your computer down. And I almost wish they had given it a different name when they re you know when they redid it. But uh, but now it's not, and it it encrypts your whole drive. And I, I'm I'm gonna this is where I'm gonna make a mistake and get email, but. Basically, it's a much more thorough encryption of your drive than it was in the past. If you don't put that password in at the beginning uh, when you log your computer on, uh, they are not getting into your data. It's, it's a fantastic way to get much more secure a Mac with a much less you know effort. All you have to do is basically click a box and let it do its thing. Right. Um, and and here's what people write us about all the time is they say, well, how does FileVault work with my backup solution or how does FileVault work with Time Machine? And I think people are thinking back to the original version of FileVault when there it was basically an encrypted sparse bundle that you had to open and close and all of this other stuff. Those were all problems that existed with the original FileVault. The Unencryption and re-encryption occurs uh, when you unencrypt it when you first turn on your Mac and you enter your login password. So the beauty of the new file vault is once you decrypt the drive, meaning when you log in and you you type in your master password to your your password to log into your Mac, your drive is unencrypted from that point. So you can run backups as normal. You can use Time Machine as normal. You can use Super Duper as normal. Uh, you can use Backblaze as normal. You can you can do from the point in time that you've logged in, you can do anything that you need to do as normal. Yes. That's just it. And, and and a related question is, well, what about backing up my backup? I mean, what about securing my backups? And there's an option when you set something up to, you know, to be your time machine backup that you can have it encrypted with FileVault. So um, you can even apply it to the external disks if you want. Right. But so it, that that's an option within the uh, time machine system preferences. Or within disk utility, you can encrypt a drive or you can format a drive as an encrypted volume. So yeah. if you wanted to do like a clone backup or something, you can do that. Yeah. So I guess th I think you turn it on. Uh, a couple related issues to that is when you enable FileVault, uh, you can have Apple save the ability to get back into it. Because if you don't have your password, once something is FileVault, it is gone. I mean, you're going to end up zeroing that drive out and starting over again. You are not going to recover anything if you can't get in. And uh, over the years, Apple has 
actually, and I'm sure this is a result of complaints from customers, but they've originally you had to keep some very extensive um, security questions in order to get that information back from Apple. And now Apple has said they're willing to store it for you if they want. This is an option, not a requirement. And I guess that's a question. I, I don't know how you answer that. I, I don't have Apple store my, my file vault password. I, I don't, but I don't think it's a bad idea for some people to have Apple store. Yeah. And what I did is I put um, in some very extensive passwords and then I put them in one password. But uh, I guess if you're doing it for somebody that's pretty new to computers, it may not be a bad idea to have Apple Store. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I guess that's just a, a judgment call, but but that's something you're going to have to decide when you're setting it up for them. What about Gatekeeper? Uh, Gatekeeper, and I don't know that this is its official name anymore, but it was originally, is uh, available in the security preference plane, and it's the ability to limit apps that run on your Mac. And there are three levels of security. One is you can limit apps to, that are only from the Mac App Store to run, the mid-level, which is probably the recommended level, that's where I run my Mac, is to allow only apps from the Mac App Store and authorized developers. This means developers who have gone out and are part of Apple's developer program uh, and have a, a signed key from Apple. Um, and then the third is basically let whatever run. Now, there are ways that this can be overridden, but by default, if you try to run an app that is outside of one of these restrictions, it's going to pop up a dialog box and say, no, I'm sorry, this is an authorized app, can't run it. And so that's at least a good you know, way to, to throw one more warning sign up to say, yeah, I'm not so sure you want to run this. Yeah, so how, how restrictive are you with Gatekeeper when you I, set up a computer for somebody else? It depends. I, unfortunately, I think the Mac App Store is probably a little too limited because there's some big name apps that you can't get in the Mac App Store. Probably the Microsoft Office Suite being the most notable. So if it's a if it's a computer where someone's going to have to run something outside of the Mac App Store, then I'd go with the mid level. Um, on those rare occasions where someone can run Mac App Store only, then then I'll limit it to that. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm. I would say it depends as well. It just depends on the person. Like if you're if you're setting up a computer for somebody who's going to not be using Microsoft Word and who really just wants to check email, you know, run the browser, get on Facebook, maybe write a, a letter in Pages, you're fine making it the most restrictive. And and if they call you and say, hey, I got this app, you know, from robot.net that wants to install, what should I do? Uh, that allows you to say no, <laughs> you know, where in the old days it would just, they just click the button. It's amazing to me watching people use computers that they click through warning dialogues without, without pause at all. Well, and not just click through warning dialogues, but click through warning dialogues and another passwords without pause. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and, and this is something that I'm kind of struggling with in, in my own family, is um, parental controls and, and Simplifinder for people who aren't children. Um, we have a family member who suffered a stroke last year and is is having some trouble. But, you know, they one of the things they, they really enjoy using their computer and it's it's been a good rehab tool. But unfortunately, sometimes they don't make the best choices because they're 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 very easily. Uh, fooled into making a, a bad decision, they're very susceptible to uh, a phishing attack, probably more so than than someone else. Um, just very trusting of whatever they they see uh, because maybe they they aren't making the best decisions. And you know, one of the things that we've considered because we we still want them to be able to use the computer and to be able to use it as all those tools is, you know, 
where where do we strike again that that fine balance of saying, well, yes, this this person is an adult and this is their computer, and we certainly don't want to to limit what they have, but we also don't want them to get themselves in trouble. You know, do we do we lock it down? Do we use some parental controls? Um, you know, do we limit their ability to send and receive emails from all but you know immediate family members? Do we limit their access to certain apps? And so those are those are things that you can do uh, within the Mac using parental controls or or using the simple finder. Um, but those are sometimes some some hard decision, especially when you're when you're not dealing with children. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah, and I don't have an answer yet either. It's something we're struggling with, but I'm just pointing out that those are options. One thing you can do for every family, and I know I beat the drum on this quite often on our show, is open DNS. Yes, and and that is something that we are running um, on every network, and especially on on this particular family's members network. Uh, with a little, you can customize. Um, the level of security. And I think I did a, a screencast on this, and we've certainly done a couple of shows on this. And so you can customize OpenDNS um, to um, – and great, Siri just activated herself while we were podcasting. Um, I don't know what we said. But you can customize OpenDNS to uh, filter or to restrict certain websites, and you can become more restrictive or less restrictive based on what you need. And this can certainly help – limit phishing attacks and in addition to blocking undesirable content based on a number of criteria. And now playing the role of Katie Floyd, I'm going to say, well, let's talk about what open DNS does really briefly before we get into the weeds. Uh, So open DNS is a, you know, the internet is full of terrible things as well as many wonderful and delightful things. And one of the goals you have is making sure that the the delightful things get into your house and the terrible things don't. And, you know, we had for years this what they call nanny software or software you would install on a computer that would uh, block certain websites and certain types of uh, information on the Internet, hopefully from reaching you, you or your kids or your family. But the problem with that is you have to install it on the individual devices. And as we got more and more devices, now we have iPads and iPhones and Macs and all these other devices, uh, managing that software and all those various devices becomes unwieldy. And OpenDNS is a service, uh, you know, and DNS is the is the under one of the underlying mechanics of the Internet, because websites are not names. It's not MaxBarkey.com or MacPowerUsers.com. It's, it's just a, it's a number. And the Internet ties those names when you type in the name macpowerusers.com to a number that gets it to our website. So OpenDNS is a, is a service out there that does that directing for you, directs that traffic. Normally that's done by your cable provider or your internet service provider, whoever that is. But OpenDNS says, hey, we're going to do it for free. And by the way, since we've got this all set up, we can do that, you know, that nanny monitoring for you. We can say that if your house, any device on your house, any iPhone, iPad, Mac, whatever, uh, tries to go to some terrible website, we will block that from happening. And you as the user can have a lot of control. I think there's four different security settings and um, filtering settings that you can set to depend on how liberal or conservative they're going to be about that blocking. Oh, well, there are four out of the box, but then you can customize and tweak any yeah. of those four, you know. Yeah. Great. And it's. And and so to set it up, you have to, it's a little complicated. You go into your router and you say, I want to use open DNS instead of my cable provider's DNS service. And then you sign up for an account for them that's absolutely free. And it's one of the best things I've ever done for my home network because it just keeps us out of trouble. 
Right. And so I guess Kate and Katie did a really good screencast on this uh, several years ago, but it's still, I think it's, it's all pretty good still. They haven't changed the interface much. Um, so just go watch that. We'll put a link in the show notes. And, but when you're, when you're at your friend's house or your family member's house, go and set up open DNS for them as well. Look, just do it for your house, do it for other people as well. My sister-in-law is still like, is so thankful to me for that because she sees her kids bump into the DNS, the open DNS, you know, brick wall once in a while. And she knows that, you know, because I set that up, that her kids have been, you know, kept away from something they probably shouldn't see. Yeah. And you know what you can do? You can even customize the open DNS uh, block page so that it has like a picture of you. Oh yeah. I should do that. Like pointing your finger at them. No, I, I would make it something cooler. Like, you know, uncle Dave, I'd, you know, dressed up like a Jedi or something. I'm protecting you. Yeah, there you go. That was my lightsaber sound. Did I you hear it? I, I heard it, yeah. Yeah. It would be a green lightsaber like Obi-Wan carries, of course. Of course. Not a blue lightsaber? No. Okay. And certainly not a red with a crossbar. Never, never, right. never. Although that, that crossbar is kind of interesting. We, you know what? We have not talked about the Star Wars trailer. No, but there's like an hour and a half on The Incomparable that you can listen to on it. That, and that was very good. I enjoyed that so much. Okay. I, I will. I, I can feel myself going there, Katie. Let's move on yeah, to let's, the next subject. Let's move on. Oh, we haven't talked about passwords in security. That, yeah, that's something kind of important. Yeah. Th- this is one that, again, is going to require a lot of education on your part. And, and really, I think it requires education first. You, you can't just install a password manager and say, okay, here's your password manager. You're good to go. Um, that That's not going to cut it. it it's going to require a lot of education on why this is so important, why they have to do it, because you're going to get a lot of pushback here. Yeah, I and so you have two options now. Uh, you know, OS 10 does a decent job of, of creating strong passwords for you and storing them. It doesn't go as far as when password does. And in my mind, I mean, that's, and I guess I am, I don't want to be accused of being, a, what, is, what, is what they call it? You know, I'm just trying to sell one password because they're a sponsor. That's not really the case. I just really like the product and and they have a lot of extra features. But I, I think that's one of the decisions you make is, do you want to get them going a little bit deeper? I mean, one password is, oh, I'm turning this into an ad spot. So I'll just, you know, it's weird because they're a longtime sponsor, but I really like the product. But so sitting down with my family members and teaching them to use one password always helps because it's got the secure vault. It just gives them so much more than password management. And they always are very appreciative of it and they, they start using it. But if you've got somebody that doesn't want to spend any money, at least get them using the built-in password management tools. Right. Which, like and I said, aren't, aren't terrible anymore. I mean, it's it's much better than it used to be. It does try and make a good password for you, and it does store them securely, somewhat securely. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's it stores them in the in the keychain, and that's certainly better than nothing. And if if nothing else, generating the passwords is is certainly important. So yeah, it's it's a step in the right direction. It's certainly better than nothing. But again, I think the most important part in this step is requiring education as to you you cannot use Fluffy as your password for everything. And yeah. you cannot use Fluffy123 as your super secure password for everything. Yeah, and just getting across the idea, like like we've talked about in the show, that you need to have a different password everywhere. And that's actually harder than it sounds, and that's why you want to use one of these automated services to, to help you create them. Right. I, I don't know. I have not had a lot of trouble um, selling fit friends and family members on one password. In fact, of all the, the things I've taught people that are what I would call more novice users— 
the one I get the most amount of thanks after after the fact is one password because people are like, yeah, you know, thanks for getting me onto that. Now I've really, you know, feel secure. Yeah. They're also, are, go ahead. It's, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, the stuff you see that's happening on the internet and it feels to me like it's getting much worse. Yeah. And, and you know, users can really help themselves if they try and get the stuff going. Okay. Well, anyway, and, and there's enough. some tools out there to help you with this. I mean, I know Don McAllister made his one password screencast free when the Heartbleed stuff was going on. Yeah. And so it's if if they're tired of hearing you drone on and on about it. Yeah. There's some It's there's just some so helpful. Other tools. Yeah. But the but the other piece of this that I would talk about um is that you uh dear Mac Power users listener is probably you probably have your own password manager whether it be Keychain whether it be one password whether it be LastPass something like that. Um you need to consider keeping a copy of their essential passwords in your password manager. You know, keep information about their Apple ID, their router, their login information. You need to keep all that uh, in your password manager because they may forget or you may be in a situation where you need to set something up for them. Yeah, the, the way I do that is a secure note. I just create a secure note and one password for each person I do this for. And I write that stuff down in there. Yeah, that's one way to do it. You could also set up folders uh, or you could set up tags for different people. Yeah. Yeah. There are a bunch of different ways to do it. Okay. Um, what about setting up backup for this new user? All right. So are you ready for my Christmas story? Okay. Yeah, I yeah. am. Yeah, that's that's what my Christmas was it story. A, is it like a Christmas miracle? Uh, it was almost a Christmas nightmare. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now I really want to know. All right. So the long long story short is it, it, it started out as a good story. Um, I bought my brother uh, an SSD for Christmas to, to put in his MacBook. Pro 13 inch. And it was one of those easy MacBook Pros where you just had to take the back face plate off, take the, pop the battery out and you'd like the hard drive was right there. And I was yeah. like, Oh, this is no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll do this for him. And, um, but he, he was very nice, but he, he told me after Christmas, he said, Hey, um, I'm actually saving up and I, and I'm about ready to go buy a new MacBook Pro. So I, I really don't know that I want to install this because I'm, you know, as soon as the new one's out, I'm actually coming to go buy a new machine. And I said, Oh, I didn't know that. Um, you know, so what we ended up doing is um, he said, but you know what I really could use is I really could use Apple Care for my phone. And so we did a little swap and I ended up buying him Apple Care for his phone. So I was appreciative that, you know, we were able to keep his present within the tech family. So and, he must have just got the phone, right? Because yeah, he got he got the phone. Um, I think you can do it within the first 60 days or whatever. Oh, 60? Okay. Yeah. So I took, you know, I took the SSD and, um, you know, I bought him Apple Care for his phone. And my dad's ears perked up and he's like, well will that fit in my computer? And I said, yeah, it, it will. Uh, and he has got a, uh, a 2008 MacBook pro and, um, yeah, those are rough. Oh, so so rough. Rough. Um, and I said, all right, well, well, here's what we're going to do, you know, step one, and we're going to go ahead and do this because we're getting ready to go to uh, his parents for Christmas dinner. I said, well, before we go to Christmas dinner, what we'll do is we'll, we'll start a clone and we'll, we'll clone your data from your machine you know, to the SSD, because, uh, of course, I bought an external enclosure for it. And that way, when we put the SSD back in your machine, you know, it will already have all your data on it. And he thought that was a good idea. And I said, all right, um, I, I didn't bring my toolkit because I thought I was installing it in my brother's machine. And I said, but but you've got a small screwdriver. So just, you know, bring me a small Phillips and bring me your machine and we'll set it out on the on the kitchen table and I'll do that for you. So my mom and I are cleaning up where we're putting presents away. And my dad goes back to his office to get his computer and all of a sudden we hear this crash. And apparently, yeah. And my mom and I just looked at each other and I just, it was, you could tell it was bad. 
Uh, and apparently, as my dad was was pulling his laptop out of the case to bring to me, he dropped it on the floor. And um, uh, we turned it on. We looked at it and click, click, click. Yeah. <laughs> click. So you didn't get the backup. No, we didn't get the backup. Uh, and he was just beside himself, you know, it was just, and, you know, so, was, so the, the optional new, new hard drive went to mandatory new hard drive. <laughs> it, it became the mandatory new hard drive. Was that the only problem was that the drive Th- went bad? Thankfully, you know, and, and I told yeah. him, I said, uh, you know, <laughs> good news is we have a new hard drive right here. You know, bad news is you, know, we won't know until we put the new hard drive in, you know, whether this is the only thing that it got. Um, thankfully it appeared to be the only thing that it got. And, uh, so I, I, you know, asked my dad, so do you have a backup? Wait and, a second. Kate, Katie Floyd's father did not have a backup. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm not, I think you may be at fault here, Katie I, Floyd. I think I, I bought him back place, David. I bought him back place. Um, so my, my dad has a laptop and a desktop and, and he swore to me, that that he he has Dropbox and he doesn't keep anything on his laptop that's not in Dropbox. Famous so he, last words. So yeah. he he swore to me that everything on his laptop um, was was synced to Dropbox and that all we had to do was install Dropbox and everything would come back down and it would be fine and we just have to reinstall the applications. All right, and then he said, "Oh wait, except this one folder on my hard drive, on my desktop." I thought, "Oh no." So yeah, yeah, he uh he lost quite a bit of of stuff that he was keeping on just this one folder on his desktop. But yeah, um, well, that's a lesson. It's a lesson. I think I think the lesson in this case was was actually more important um and he now does have a a second subscription to Backblaze on his laptop and understands that yeah, just just keeping that one folder on his desktop just for a little while is not a good idea. So he doesn't have – I think Backblaze is a great solution, but I also think you need to have something local. He doesn't have a local backup for his laptop either? No, he has a local backup for his Mac that he backs up to Time Machine, and he has yeah. Backblaze on his iMac, that he, uh, and uh, he has Dropbox, um, but he did not have anything on his uh, MacBook Pro. I, I don't want to go at length at it, but the fact right. that you were able to swap out a hard drive in a 2008 MacBook Pro – On Christmas that- Day. Mean that that to me says that you are better at that stuff than I am because yeah. I, I I would be so intimidated. Those old for those who don't know, those old MacBook Pros really was that really you had to like I think didn't you have to take the keyboard out and do all sorts of yeah. weird stuff the keyboard to get had to the to hard off. drive? And I would I just would be afraid that I would just wreck that computer. I would put it back together and it just wouldn't turn on. Uh, it was it was it was tough, but it worked, um, yeah. and it is working well now. And it it took several hours yesterday to get all of his apps reinstalled. Um, and he thinks that he is going to be able to recover a lot of the information that he lost because a lot of it was receipts that he had been scanning in, uh, and he had actually scanned them in on his iMac and then transferred them to his laptop to work on while he was gone. So he thinks he's going to be able to recover a lot of them from Time Machine on his iMac. But, so anyway, uh, the, yeah. I, 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 talk, I talked about this on the show years ago, but I always tell people when I'm setting up a new computer for them that they'll say, well, look, Dave, I, you know, I know this is taking your time. Let me do something for you. And I, I always say my fee is uh, that when I arrive, you need to have an external hard drive that we can set up as your backup. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I, I said, I mean that if I get there and you don't have one, I'm not going to do this for you. And it sounds like a jerk, right? But 
you know, I'm just making my point. And they always do get one and I show up. And when I leave, we've got Time Machine connected and backing up. And I know that's not as safe as, as having a Backblaze account. Maybe I should be telling people that that's additional fee I now charge. But the, um, but I want, what before I leave there, I want to know that it's backing up locally somewhere. And, and it's, it's so easy to turn it on. You know, you just put it, you know, like I just did it for a friend recently and we, we put an external drive on the back of her iMac and she's happy and everything's getting backed up. So, so do make sure you do backup. Right. Um, but that, that goes back to, you know, we talked about on the show before Dropbox is not a backup. Yeah. Because, yeah. because although it's great and it's better than nothing, you know, people always have, Oh, well, I just saved it to my desktop for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, Dropbox, you know, it's a great service, but if if something gets deleted on any Dropbox, it gets deleted everywhere. So there's all sorts of shenanigans that can happen. And I know that Dropbox does keep backups and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I don't think that's a, a true backup system. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about backup. I, I think the number one rule for for backup for a, a computer, especially a, a novice computer, is that automated is better. Automated is mandatory. It it has to be an automated solution. Yeah. Which is hard with laptops. I mean, with an iMac, it's easy. You hang a, a USB drive off the back, turn on Time Machine, and you're done. With a laptop, it requires them to plug it in, and they may not do that. Yeah. And I, I pester family members about that. And, and, and you know, there's they can buy a time capsule, which will do it wirelessly. They can set up a Backblaze account that will do it automatically. There's, there's other options. Um, but... But just telling them you need to plug into this once a week or once a month, uh, there's a good chance they're just not going to do that. I, I tell you, for laptops, I really like uh, an offsite solution like Backblaze or CrashPlan, maybe even a little bit more than Time Machine, because I think the odds of somebody plugging in an external hard drive on a laptop are going to be slim to none. Yeah. Or at least well, doing it. It depends on the person. But, I think yeah. I think doing it often enough to make sure that they really have a backup. Yeah. Um, and then um, I think time machines are great for, for desktop computers. I mean, I, I did a whole blog post on, on backing up, and I think those are great for Mac Power users. But the, the key to remember when you're helping somebody else set up a computer is automated is better. You want to try to get that data offsite. I mean, you just – redundancy is great, but at this point you want one good backup that you can – you can know is going to work. And I would say, just remember you are going to be responsible for data recovery one day. And yeah, you know, yeah. back, back when you said, David, Katie, I kind of think that's your fault. You know, that your dad didn't have a backup, yeah. you know? Yeah, it, it kind of is. I mean, not really, but it, it kind of is. I mean, I'm, I'm the one who bore the brunt of that. You know, I'm the one who had to replace the hard drive. I was going to do that anyway. You know, I'm, I'm the one who has spent hours reinstalling his programs. You know, I'm, I'm the one who's probably going to spend another couple of hours helping get his data all synced back up. Um, ultimately, it would have been much better for me to have spent the $50 myself and made sure that he had Backblaze on that computer than to spend all this time that I'm going to spend recovering this data. So maybe now when you're setting up a new user, you say you need to you need to do two backups. You need to have a local time machine, and you need to have something like a backblaze, something an offsite automated account. Yeah, my yeah. my my fee for your tech support is fifty dollars a year. Yeah, and you just you just go <laughs> run that into a a backblaze account. I don't know, or a crash plan. Yeah. Full disclosure: um, backblaze has been a sponsor. I don't know if they are this year or not. We'll see. Um, the uh. 
uh, also, I think a, a good idea in addition to getting the backup is giving a tunnel for you to get in from offsite if you need to. Setting up remote access um, is a great idea. You know, if you're setting up the computer, at some point they're going to need your help, and you could be three thousand miles away, depending on you know who you're helping. So uh, set up, you know, there's a, a variety of different remote access services. Um, I, I've been using the Screens app. I, uh, they just came out with a new version a few months ago, and I, I bought in. I went full hog. I bought it for iOS. I bought it for the Mac. Now that I have two Macs again, I'm using it, and uh, I think that's a pretty nice solution. Yeah, talk, talk, I, I use Screens as well. So let's talk a little bit about setting up Screens for remote access on a computer that's not yours. Do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I have the, the little demon running, and it's it's available to me. Okay, so basically, what you do is is you bought screens for your Mac, for your iPhone, for your iPad, whatever, um, and then there's a there's a free utility. I don't know if you call it a demon, daemon, whatever it is, um, but there's a free utility. You can create what's called a Screens Connect account, and then so presumably, what you've done is you've created an admin or a um, a David account on, let's say, your sister's machine that you're the tech person for. Uh, and you've installed that utility on that admin account? Yeah. And it runs all the time. Put it so it's always running, and you can get in. There you go. Uh, there's there's services, too, though. I think Log Me In is a good one. Yeah. Unfortunately, you are going to have to have a pro account now. Um, it's probably worth it if you administer a couple of computers. I think Log Me In is very, very easy. Um, but I think a pro account is going to cost you about a hundred bucks a year. So that's you know, questionable whether it's, it's worth the expense. Uh, Team Viewer and Join.me are free solutions, but they are typically going to require some kind of interaction from the other side to initiate. And that shouldn't be that hard. I mean, and that's something you can, when you're setting up for them, say, look, here's this thing that allows me to get into your screen if we need to. It doesn't work unless you turn it on and this is how you turn it on. Yeah, and that so may they, actually give them some level of comfort. Yeah, so they know you're not being creepy. And if there's a problem, you can still get in. Right. There, there's, I, I think there's just no end of these remote access services out there. Um, but I, I do like screens. I like the design of the application, and it it's works well. I don't use it that often. And frankly, you know, I've kind of gone through this process with my family members to the extent that they don't really have many problems with their Macs anymore. So I'm not doing as much family tech support as I used to. If anything, it's I'm doing more iOS, but we've got that later in the outline. Um, uh, also, uh, I think it's a good idea, and this is something you had added that line: is build yourself a toolbox. Why not? You know, when you're heading out. Yeah, there are a couple of things that that I like to take with me or keep with me when I when I know I'm going to be doing some tech support. You know, I've got that little uh, flash drive on my keychain. And I keep on that uh, an OS X installer. There is a, a great Macworld article that we'll probably put a link in the show notes to about how to create an OS X installer. It's pretty easy. And so I just keep the latest OS X installer on the flash drive because especially if you're on a place with a slow internet connection, then it, yeah, that's a pretty big download and that can take you hours to download on a DSL connection uh, or even worse. So I create the, I keep the OS X installer on my flash drive. I, I just love, I just love that I could be like at like, 
Chipotle and I could say, Katie, I need to install OS 10. And you would say, I got that covered, David. It's I on, got it. It's on my keychain. Here you go. <laughs> um, and I also keep some some other important installers like the, the iWork installers and, and things like that on my keychain. Although I guess not anymore because they're, they're iTunes. But I keep a couple other critical installers on my iTunes. Um, and, or my, uh, my iTunes, my, uh, my flash drive. And then um, I have a screwdriver set that I really like. OWC sells one. It's it's like a eight or ten piece screwdriver set that has like a, a very small Phillips, a very small flat, a T8, a T6, and a couple of others. But it's like the basics that will get you into just about any computer. Yeah. And I and I travel with that. And and I'll typically I will also take a um, a two and a half inch hard drive in a USB enclosure um, that. I, is just a spare hard drive that if I'm going to be doing major work on somebody's computer, that I can run a quick backup. Yeah, and not, not only that, just having that spare hard drive when you're when you're working on a computer, always you can always find use for it, even if it's just moving data. Maybe you've got to to just copy something off, or having a little extra hard drive when you're doing work, it, it comes in handy quite often. Are there some utilities you probably want? Software utilities, Onyx, which is Probably the best free, you know, Mac utility. We just had a problem recently with my wife's computer, and I was able to go out and blow out the font cache and fix it. And I just did it on Onyx. I mean, there, it's a it's a pretty good solution for that. Um, Clean my Mac is another one. Um, Disk Warrior is something that may be of use. It's 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 expensive. I think it's over a hundred dollars to buy it, but it will go through if you if you've got somebody that's having directory problems with their drive, sometimes the drive directory gets corrupted and it's just pointing at the wrong places and all of a sudden their computer stops working. Um, that is usually a fatal problem for a drive. You have to wipe it and start over. But Disk Warrior is this application that will go look at each file and rebuild the directory for you. It's kind of like magic. And um I've I've owned it for years. I've used it two or three times to help somebody out. And every time it fixed a massive problem and it was totally worth it. But that's it. That's a, do you carry that app? I don't. I don't carry yeah. this warrior. I, I typically nuke and reinstall. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the disk cleaners like Omni Disk Sweeper or Daisy Disk or some of the other, you know, applications out there to help manage drives. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really not that hard, uh, to do this stuff. I mean, so I guess listening to the, I was thinking as we were going through the show, the show's written, the show's really given to the, the power user listeners, but somebody who was just new to the Mac could have listened to the show and got a pretty good start as well. Right. Um, well, what about iOS? Should we talk a little bit about iOS too? Yeah, I want to talk about iOS, but first I want I want to go back to our sponsor and talk a little bit more about PDF Pin for the iPad. The, the new version uh, is just so great. Uh, Katie was talking about the, the new features they've added, but I just wanted to talk about kind of a use case. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I am working like a crazy man right now because I've got just a lot going on. And I found myself, um, it, lawyers sometimes meet with the judges in their office and they call that in chambers. And, you know, it's a f- fancy term, but you're basically in the judge's office. And I'm in there with another lawyer and we're arguing about something. And it, this case involves many contracts and lots of pages and we're going through things. And the judge keeps asking questions and I was able to give him very quick answers while the other guy was fumbling through lots and lots of paper and not getting anything. So and, and at one point, I even handed my iPad over to the judge so he could read the thing, the, the, the piece of paper he was most interested in. And all of this is as a result of PDF pin for iPad. The new version is just so great. It, it 
links right into the iCloud document storage mechanism and it links into Dropbox and it can sync files. So I've got all these different files and these different, oh, and it also links to Transporter, by the way. Um, so I've got all these files on these different cloud services that I'm storing. And as you know, I'm sitting there preparing to go to court, I will always bring in the most relevant documents right into the application. And then when I'm on the iPad in court, I can highlight with my finger or with my stylus and I can search the document. So if we've got a, a an 800 page document, which sadly is something I have on my iPad right now, and somebody wants a very quick answer about what something says on page, you know, 322 at the bottom of the page. Um, and the, the person doesn't know what page it's on, but they just know it's in that general area and it has the following three words in it. I can get there much faster than anybody else. And then I just hand that over to the judge or I can read it right off the screen. It just makes my life so much easier. And PDF pin uh, for the iPad solves this problem. Uh, the, I can't emphasize enough how much easier it is when you have this stuff digitally stored and then the ability to make those annotations. I mean, it used to be you would print out documents and you'd take your highlighter and you'd highlight them and then you'd use it for a day and then it would get thrown away or lost. And the next time you look at it, all those highlights would be gone. Well, because I can use this cloud storage solution, I can make the highlights and save them and it's there forever. I mean, there's just so much to like about having uh, professionally managed PDFs on your iPad and PDF pin is, is the, my favorite application for doing this. I use it every day and I highly recommend you go check it out. They, they've come out with this pricing solution now, so you can actually upgrade, even though Apple doesn't enable upgrades, which just shows you how much these guys love their customers. They really want to make it easy for you to get into their application. And as they come up with these improvements, they want it to make it easier for you to use them. And the, one of the features that Katie mentioned earlier, I'm going to just emphasize it again, is the way the tools will show up all at once. And when you're annotating the documents, you can do it very quickly. It's just a fantastic application made by fantastic people. And I encourage you to go check it out. You can go to the website. You can watch. They've got screencasts on it. And and honestly, you know, support this company. Go out and get yourself a copy of PDF Pin and make your life easier as well. And I know because I'm a lawyer, I'm probably more into this than most people. But even if you're not a lawyer, even if you just want to look at your invoices that come in or you want to look at the kids' uh, correspondence from school, uh, all that stuff gets so much easier when you go digital. So check it out. Thanks, Smile, for all the support. And everybody, uh, go check out PDF Pin for the iPad and iPhone. So we've been yakking on for about an hour about uh, how to support the Mac. We could probably do an entire show uh on how to support iOS, but I figure we should probably at least touch on it before we back out here. Yeah, um, let's do it. There, there are a couple of things, and, and I've had a couple of family members who have gotten new iOS devices, and uh, my grandmother actually just got her first iPhone recently, and I was trying to uh, this may turn into a blog post at some point, but think about you know what what can I do to set up uh, an iOS device for her that that's going to be good for her, and then you know require minimal tech support for me. Uh, and, and a couple of things. Uh, the big one is uh, turn on iCloud backup, first and foremost. Yeah, that's true for everyone. Yeah. Um, yep. And and really turn on iCloud, period. Go ahead and get them set up with, with the syncing. And, and we talked about this a little bit on the Mac show, but, you know, make sure that their email is syncing. Make sure that their contacts and calendars are syncing. You know, how are their notes syncing? Make sure that they don't have multiple things syncing so that they're their contacts and email and all of these things aren't showing up in multiple different places. Uh, but but figure out the syncing part and, and get that streamlined for them. 
Also turn on automatic app updates. Yeah, just, automatic just like on the Mac. It's 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 crazy. People, you know, the number of updates they need on their iOS devices sometimes. Uh, and then I believe FaceTime and iMessages are not turned on by default. So uh, they've got an Apple ID. Go ahead and turn on iMessages and FaceTime because a lot of people want iOS devices so they can send messages back and forth without having to incur data charges. Uh, and so they can FaceTime with their friends and family members. So make sure you get those set out right out of the box. Yeah, you also want to look into um, cellular data settings in general, you know, and see if they've got anything running that will be, you know, hogging up data. Like if they're if they're a user of iTunes Match, uh, make sure that they don't have, you know, download via cellular turned on unless they know of that and they understand the consequences of that. Right. Um, and I would suggest in general, go through all those cellular data settings and, and make sure that you limit their data usage. But more importantly, make sure that they've got a Wi-Fi network at their home. Um, you know, if they've got any kind of uh, data access at their home, make sure they've got a wireless router. You can get a wireless router very inexpensively, um, get it set up and make sure that their iOS device is set to automatically join that wireless network. I just, I found some of these iOS, you know, somehow her iOS device, when I was at her house on Christmas Day, was not automatically joining her network. And I don't know how that happened, but wow. I, uh, I was like, <laughs> oh, we need, a lot of data. we need to fix this real fast. Yeah. So. Um, also, um, teach them how to set up the apps and folders and, you know, adjust their home screen as they want. Right. And one of the tips that I received um, from somebody as I was asking for tips is move all of the apps that they won't use into a folder on their second page. And yeah. that gets a lot of stuff out of their way. Yeah. Um, photos. What do you, That's probably the most important thing that you want to make sure that they've got some kind of photo backup. Yeah. Whether it's it's photo stream or some kind of automatic photo upload service. You know, you, you made the proclamation that in 2015, if Apple didn't, we were going to fix the photo situation. We're going to find solutions if Apple doesn't. Yeah. I feel like we're in limbo on this, but it even just the last couple of weeks of the holidays, it, it just puts an you know, exclamation point on how messed up all this is. Because my family that I've been talking about through the show is pretty computer savvy at this point. None of them know what to do with their photos. Well, it, it seems like if you do nothing else, turn on photo stream. Um, and if you want to consider doing something else, maybe some kind of Dropbox photo backup or um, I know... Google, if you've got a Google account, will let you back up your photos if you use Google Plus. Some Amazon, kind of Amazon Prime now. That's right. Amazon Prime now will let you back up your, your photos. You you need some kind of photo backup for, for your loved ones. Yeah. You had some interesting points in the outline because you were setting up for your grandmother. Uh, you know, for an older user, there were additional considerations. I thought those were good ideas. Yeah, uh, particularly for older users, you want to consider adjusting their settings, and you can find a lot of these under accessibility. Don't forget about the accessibility setting in iOS. There's a lot of great stuff in there. Um, specifically, you can increase the contrast and increase the font size, um, and that's going to make it a lot easier for them to be able to see and manipulate the screen. Um, this may go against kind of the the look and the feel of, of iOS, and it may look a little bit foreign to you, but the key f here is is usability. Um, you may also want to turn on um, the reduce motion feature. 
and turn on button shapes because that's going to make it a little bit easier to see, okay, well, this is a button and if I push this, it's going to do something. Uh, again, it's going to make the 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 user interface look a little less pretty. So it, it may look a little foreign to you, but it, it's going to be a lot more usable for them. Um, another feature that I like and that I have turned on myself um, is turn on the LED for flash alerts. Um, sometimes um, if your, your hearing isn't great, you may miss a text message or you may miss a phone call because you don't hear the ringer. Um, but that LED flash is, is pretty bright. So if it's flashing at you, um, you, you may recognize it and say, oh, my, my phone's beeping at me. I need to do something. And while you're at it, go ahead and, and customize their ringer. Um, I know on my grandmother's phone, I set it to a very traditional ringer. Um, in fact, they've got one, I think, that's called Old Telephone. So I set yeah. it to a very traditional and a very loud ringer. And then I also set her text messages so that I, I think you can set it so that it will repeat until the text message is acknowledged um, or at least repeat several times so that if she misses her initial text message notification, that it's not just gone, that it's going to repeat several times. And also take a look at notifications. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. On the subject, whether they're, whether it's an older user or not, um, if it's someone who's not used to using iOS, um, tear into notifications with them and teach them about the notification screen so they have the ability to turn them off themselves. Right. I mean, I personally tend to not use the alert style notification for much, Um but I think it may be a good thing for especially some novice users. Maybe you want them to be alerted when they've missed a call or when they've missed a text message. Um, yeah. So those are yeah. those are things to look at. Yeah, it, it's you know, it, iOS in a lot of ways is easier to set up for somebody, but it's a little more cryptic for users that are not familiar with it. It's like getting to the settings is kind of difficult. It seems to me like you know, it's almost like because it's easier to run. In some ways, it's harder because people have more power. Oh, the one more thing I would add that we haven't added yet. Um, turn on Find My iPhone. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I just had to use that the other day. Yikes. Did you find it? Yeah, I did. Good deal. Um, all right. Uh, so um, so we've got iOS covered. We've got the Mac covered. What else do we need to do with setting up somebody else? Well, you know, I I think we're kind of good about setting up, but I was thinking, you know, if you're at somebody's house, you know, if you're there for a visit or a special occasion, is if you've got five minutes or 30 minutes, is, is there a checklist of things that you can run through to do just a quick checkup on their machine? Uh, well, you can just take a look at it and see how it's working. I mean, right. you can check the, uh, you know, how many apps do they need to update? Are they, <laughs> do they have like three security updates that they have not installed? <laughs> just take a look at things. Also check into their backup status. Yeah. And I'll tell you the, the one thing that I've considered doing um, and that I do sometimes is when family comes to visit me, especially because I've got all this spare space on my Drobo, sometimes I'll back them up to my Drobo. You know, I'll back yeah. them up to a disk image um, to me so that I've got kind of an, an offsite backup. You know, I'll, I'll make sure that their backups have run. I'll make sure that their updates have run. Uh, the other thing that I'll do is I'll go into disk utility and I'll um, just run repair disk to make sure that their file system structure is okay. Yeah. And, and when you're visiting someone, I'll say it one last time and I won't talk about it anymore, at least in this show, is that's another opportunity to install OpenDNS. So yeah. if you're there, if you watch Katie's screencast, you're going to have it down. And 
uh, if you're there, especially if they're using Macs, where it's really easy to get into the with the airport utility, get in and make changes to the to the hardware. Set just set up Open DNS for it. They'll, they'll really be thankful to you. I think the one note that I want to close this this podcast on is the the best gift that I think you can give your your loved ones, especially if you are the family tech support person, uh, is you can give them the gift of empowerment. Um, and, you know, there's that old adage, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, then he'll eat for a lifetime. Um, you do not want to be the family tech support person forever. I mean, you you may always be the tech support person for when when things go wrong, but but you don't want to be the the crutch that they're they're leaning on forever. And to the extent that you can teach them uh, to be dependent on themselves and to try to figure these things out themselves, uh, not only will that make them happier because they they don't want to be calling you for tech support all the time, but it's going to make you a whole lot easier too. And you know, I have just been um, so. Um, so happy, you know, watching my mom these past few years as she's really come into her own in this tech journey. You know, she came with me to Macworld last year, David. I know you had an opportunity to meet her. Hey, and, your mom is awesome, by and, the way. And she went to a bunch of classes. Um, she she went to, you know, iOS tips and photo tips. And, you know, she, she probably went to a half a dozen or more classes. And she came back and she she picked up a lot. And I kind of made fun of her a little bit because she bought like four or five different books at Macworld. So everywhere she goes, she comes home with books. And I usually end up having to put them in my bag because she, you know, gets the heavy tag on her bag because she's got too many books. But um, she picked up a bunch of books and she has gone through those books. And um, the other day she she told me, she said, you know what? I went online and I ordered photos all by myself. I said, yeah. really? Yeah. She said, I, I, I scanned them in and I edited them and I cropped them and I went online and I ordered them because she had, it, she had made Christmas gifts for my uncles of, of these old family photos that she had scanned in and retouched and, and ordered online. There's a lot of people out there that want to get better at their Mac, but don't want to learn Apple script or Perl and just, you know, but they just want things to work. And you know, I, frankly, I think that's a lot of the people that listen to the show, but there's even more people that don't listen to the show that feel that way. And, um, and you absolutely can help somebody along with that journey. Um, there's also, uh, some, some materials online that you can point people to that will help out with that. Um, like screencasts online from Don McAllister or lynda.com, a sometimes sponsor of the show. Uh, I mean, people, you know, there's a lot of ways to help people get better at this stuff. And and it's it's so rewarding to see, and it's it's rewarding not only for for me and and for you as their tech support person, but but for them as well. Yeah, or or you could have them listen to a good podcast like Mac Power Users. Right, there's a great po- a couple of great podcasts out there yeah. for them. Um, okay, so Katie, uh, I think we've covered it. Um, where do we go from here? Well, I think we go take care of our family support needs, and we then teach them how to do it themselves. Yeah. And if you want to get show notes on this, you can go check it out at uh, MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 233. Yeah, 233. Uh, you 233. Can... That's crazy. 233. That crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. The show is MacPowerUsers. I'm Katie Floyd. David is Max Sparky. Uh, and you can also send us feedback 
uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and that will be sent to both of us. Don't forget, MPU Live is coming up soon, and you can send us in your audio clips for that as well, and we'll be putting together that show shortly. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor for this episode, the fine folks over at Smile, over at SmileSoftware.com. Be sure to check out PDF Pen version 2 for iOS. Uh, that's been a great update, and we will see you all next time. Thank you.